This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fakatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well indeed. You've downloaded your pass. You're all set up. Yep, all set up. Um, learned how to use a digital wallet. That was kind of cool. And, uh, yeah, all ready for red light day starts today. Well, yeah, started at midnight. So, yeah. Interesting, though. Like, I was thinking about it. We've got still a lot of people in the community who think that the greater good is less important than their individual rights to spread a virus. I find that just so weird. <laughs> yeah, it is weird. And there's interesting ructions happening here about one of the councillors who um, isn't vaccinated and is going to be banned from council buildings. Are you having that kind of thing? No, all of our councillors are vaccinated. In fact, like we're really lucky here, like all of the community leaders are vaccinated and, and because we live in such an incredibly vulnerable community with really isolated rural communities, um, the, the risk is just horrendous. So our leaders have taken it really seriously and I'm thankful for that. So let's do the introduction for today. Now we're going to turn it around a little bit. I'm going to do the introduction for today. I would like to introduce... Uh, somebody who I met a few years ago and I am no has done amazing work and does amazing work for her community and has been, spent the last two years writing that up into a thesis, a doctoral thesis, and that doctoral thesis was passed yesterday. Congratulations. I'm not allowed to call you Dr. Karatype until you've gone across the stage, but I can't stop other people saying Dr. Karatype. So other people might at this point say, congratulations, Dr. Karatype, and welcome to Blowing Bubbles. Thank you, Sam. It was a pretty epic day yesterday, I have to say. And that, that, and I thought because, you know, there were so many epic moments over the last few weeks well, since we had the defence through to the report coming in and everything, I didn't think that it would hit me so hard as it did yesterday in such a positive way, but it really did. It was just like this force of goodness enveloped me for the whole day. It was so beautiful, and I felt happy all day. Sad only about one thing, and that is that my dad, who um, passed away two years ago now, um, he never got to see this happen, but he, he's always been my biggest supporter. He left school when he was 14 years old and um, didn't like school, went to a Catholic school, we used to ride to school every day on a horse and the nuns used to beat him up, he reckoned. And uh, so he just left school and had and still managed to 
carve out a life for himself, but what I've just done was outside of anything that he could ever have imagined himself achieving. So, yeah, that's my only little thing, Sam. I just wish that my dad was alive to see it, but I'm glad that my kids get got to see. Yeah. I'm, cool. sh- I'm sure that they're all extremely proud. So a doctor of professional practice. Yes, that's so pretty cool, eh? It is pretty cool. And that's the yeah. third one, I think. So let's talk about the journey that you have been on. Let's start at the end. What's the thesis called? The practitioner the thesis? thesis? Is, the, the thesis is called The Evolution of an Identity Activist. And that was, there were quite a few names over time, but that's where I ended up. But it was through the journey that I found out that I'm an identity activist. <laughs> so, because um, it was, um, it was, it started off being um, a, a journey about unconditional positive regard uh, as a model of professional practice uh, outside of psychology. And um, and it still ended up being that, but that became part of the bigger story of identity activism. It's, it was quite a cool thing to sort of evolve through this, you know, what started off almost like a very traditional thesis in a lot of ways in my mind um, and ended up being this really amazing creative process um, where I got to use everything I know how to do to create this this bit of work that hopefully people will find interesting. It is truly a bricolage. It's a bit of this and a bit of that all put together to make a really cool bit of work, I think. I'm proud of it, Sam. So the subtitle is An Indigenous Autoethnography. Yep. So it is very much about telling that that story. But what does it what does being an identity activist mean? Um, I think it's just about identifying where the identity of a person, whether it's their self-given identity or the perception of others, has an impact on your life. It's, it's about whether or not that's a positive or negative impact and how that can be managed. So, um, for example, uh, one of the, the biggest works that um, that I've written about uh, has been my contribution to the Māori wards debate and having the legislation change. And as Māori, we were actually prevented from being able to represent to elect our own representatives um, in our councils. And yet, the Māori economy is seen as as the as the saviour for the regions, and especially now because the, the Māori economy is predicted to be the biggest uh, growth part of, of the economy of, of the regions of the entire country. Um, and yet we weren't allowed to have our own um, representatives on our councils. And because the majority of voters uh, will elect people who are more like themselves, uh, we couldn't get enough people and we couldn't get Māori voted on. And it was, it's been a really tricky time. So we got the law changed. And there was a small group of us who just dug our toes in, got a petition started, uh, and um, took that to the parliament a year ago yesterday, actually. Uh, we handed the petition over to Tamati Coffee on the steps of parliament. 
uh, and uh, a week later, Nanaia Mahuta pushed through a law change. And in 2022, councils all around Aotearoa will be electing the first representatives to Māori wards in the whole history of our country and local council. And that is an extraordinary thing. And it all goes to identity. Because so if I if I say to my son, look into that council space and where do you see yourself reflected? He struggles to see himself reflected in that space. We have here in Fakatani, which is over 50% Māori population, we had no what I call tuturu Māori, Māori who, who live in Te Ao Māori, live in a Māori world, uh, elected to our council. And so where, where is he in that space? Where does he see himself reflected? And that comes down to his identity. If he doesn't see himself reflected in a decision-making space, then who is making the decisions for him? And how does he... Um, how does he sit with that with those decisions? So yeah, identity is it's such a complex issue, and and it's lots of big things and lots of little things. Like uh, for me, as a as a um, as a woman, uh, as a wahine momoko, I have a moko kawai. Uh, as as a Maori with fair skin and blue eyes, um, as a disabled person, all of these little things make up our identity, and each of them actually is really important. Um, so as an identity activist, sometimes I actually have to make a stand for myself on those uh, on the basis of those things, and often I'm making a stand for other people. Well, that's what I was going to say, that it's not just making a stand for yourself. It's not just you being almost a sort of a self-centred, it's got to be right for me. It's about changing the system for other people, and I think it's about what I've seen is that it's about systems change mm-hmm. that gets to the core of identity, and it's... Where I've seen you being particularly effective is when it's you're 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 wanting to change the system and getting that system changed where identity is involved. And I'm thinking about things like um, I think it's in the thesis, but if 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 not, it's 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 in your life when when your son Jack had an appointment at the hospital and they insisted on seeing the birth certificate despite the fact he was born in that hospital. Yeah. And another time when you were talking to the Ministry of Corrections about something completely unrelated and they wanted like everything about you, including your employment status and all this sort of stuff. And and you didn't pounce on the person that you were talking to. I mean, you had a, a, a robust discussion with those people. But more importantly, by the end of that day, you were, in both cases, the minister was aware of that problem. Exactly, because it because and it comes down to things being fair, Sam. And in both of those situations, the the process that was put in place by the government departments was actually unfair. It was unfair. If you think about it, like I'm, you know, I've got resources, I've got skills, I've, I'm literate, I've got access to the internet, I've got a cell phone with a camera. You've got a doctorate. Um, we, Oh, good doctorate. <laughs> so, but I was able to take a, a photo of the birth certificate in the end and email it off to the hospital. And that was a laughter, a robust negotiation when I refused to bring it down there. But to in, to in, in order for me to be able to make an appointment for Jack to see a specialist, they, they were not even going to book the appointment without that birth certificate. They were not going to allow me to just bring it in when we came in. 
they wouldn't contact my GP. They didn't take into account that he's an Indigenous child born in Aotearoa and that they had access to that information. They didn't care about any of that. They were so focused on their system and the system was flawed because if you think about a family who live up, up way up at Ratahuna, which is a three-and-a-half, three-hour drive from here, still in our same DHB area, often geographically cut off from the rest of us by slips and roads just falling into the river and all sorts of things like that. Any children who are up there, if they, uh, if the parents who don't have cell phones, their landlines up there, um, were talking to the hospital and they were given that condition, they would not have actually been able to do what I did and just, you know, email a photo that I took with my camera. They wouldn't have been able to do that. So the child will miss out on healthcare just on that basis because it's a ridiculous policy that actually creates huge barriers. And barriers that exist for the health and well-being of our children are wholly unacceptable. But it's not just seeing those problems. It's having the nous and the the, the realising where the lever is, you know, the, to give me a long lever and I'll move the world stuff. Mm. In In the case of that that hospital thing you and I were at a meeting at the district health board a couple of days later talking to the like the really senior management people there and I don't think that they had realized that it was you but one of them suddenly said we've just got the message from the minister of health saying fix this immediately it's not on exactly yeah so I think there's a real a real skill and, and that you've talked about in your thesis in identifying how to actually make that change. Yeah. And I, and it just, um, it's relationships that enable that. And I'm fortunate that I, I guess I worked that out really early in my life. So I've been really good at building relationships and really determined at building relationships uh, and, and not being afraid to just go and knock on someone's door. But I also recognize that's incredibly difficult for a lot of people. You know, if for me, it's it's no big deal to have a politician knocking on my door and coming in for a cup of tea and a chat. That's become our normal in our house. But I recognise that's not everybody's normal. And so that so there is a hugely important place in our communities for identity activists, people who are willing to actually go and knock on those doors and stand up for the rights of others. Yeah, we've had several people answer the question at the end of the show, which I'll still get to ask you. Um, do you consider yourself to be an activist, saying words to the effect of it's the it's the rent we pay for, for living on the planet? Exactly. And, 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 you know, if you have the privilege of being in a position like academia, then it's an absolute responsibility that you use that. Yeah. And yet so many people who um, who who are in that privileged position and do have that knowledge don't use it for good and and I I struggle with that I really do so I wonder what motivates those people is it is it the whole ego thing of oh look I've got this and I've got that but well it's all very great to have those things but what's the point of it if you're not using it to actually make change happen Let's take the first of your music choices let's have Garcia and Grisman Shady Grove why this one? I love bluegrass music and I actually, this, this, um, the album is called Shady Grove as well. A big fan of the Grateful Dead, which of course is Jerry Garcia. Um, but, uh, Garcia and Grisman have put out some really amazing CDs. There's this one and then there's another one for kids called Not for Kids Only, uh, which I really encourage 
people to listen to as well. It's got some great tunes on it.
about how the work evolved from unconditional positive regard in society into much more of a a story. Can you tell us more about the the process of the the like the, the evolving story of the story? How it became a story? Um the I guess the biggest part that contributed to the evolution was actually um discovering that we have a lot more freedom in the academic world than what I realized. And um so my own practice evolved as I realized uh I think we 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 went off to the beach, you and I went off to the beach one day and you came and you did this amazing pattern with these shells that you found on the beach. And it sparked this idea for um, what became called the Kohio Awa Impact Model. And the impact model is a way of mapping your impact. And I realized I've always done that. And so to be able to formalize that into a model that can be shared so other people can do it was really helpful. Um, that that was probably a big turning point for me in my in my understanding of the value of the work. But the freedom, the freedom of being able to write that is what made it special. Being able to just sit and write, to be able to tell the stories of the the people that I work with, to, the stories of our community. Um, and then in the next chapter to tell one a story of something that was happening in my own life. And in the chapter before that, to be able to uh, share this model of impact, uh, I think that was that was what enabled everything to evolve as it did, was the freedom. Not having to do this prescribed, you will start at chapter one and end at chapter 10, and this will be in the middle. Um, it was the freedom to just be me. Uh, to to put forward my authentic self uh, and my authentic practice. Did you know that was going to happen when you chose to do a, a doctorate of professional practice? No. Oh, gosh, no. It, doesn't, it <laughs> didn't end up looking anything like what I imagined. What I imagined um, almost four years ago, oh, my gosh, four years ago, it is four years, Four years ago this month when I started this was this chapter 1 to 10. I'm going to do this. I'm going to start here and I'm going to end here and this will be what it was. And it was actually the very first uh, idea that came to me was a, a look at uh, Māori leadership in educational contexts. Um, but the more I looked into that, the more I realised that's been done and done and done and done really well, actually. There's some beautiful work out there and was completely unnecessary. So then I started thinking about, you know, community leadership. And then I started thinking about my own leadership in the community. Um, and then I started thinking about what's the point of being a leader in a community and, and how can I be better at it? Because people are good at saying, I'm a leader. And others are good at saying you're a leader, that person's a leader. But but so I think sometimes we attribute that label of leader to people who who just sort of put themselves in a position but don't actually achieve anything. And I, I find that really frustrating. I do, because I, there's too much inaction in the world, Sam. 
there is a lot of talking going on and not a lot of doing. So how do we bottle that? How do we bottle Mawera, or maybe not actual Mawera, how do we bottle Mawera's leadership? How do, how do we make, I mean, you ask questions on the show about, you know, how do we overcome the barriers for the for the kids about seeing a positive future? How do we overcome the barrier of, of of needing more kids to come up knowing that how they can make a difference, of knowing how to make a difference? Ah, that I have an answer for. We start with them when they're very small at school by giving them a problem to solve or something to pin their education to. Every kid who's in our school needs the conversation needs to start when they're before they even start primary school, I think, when they're still at preschool. What do you want to be when you get big? And it's the simplest thing in the world. What do you want to be when you get big? Well, I want to be a fireman. That is fantastic. What do you need to know to be a fireman? What is a fireman's job? Where do you live? What do you drive? All of these things is actually creating that ability to think into the future and to immediately start problem solving what that future looks like. That's where the answer is. That's where we find our future leaders. That's where we find the solutions to our future problems. And that's where we create kids with hope and who have something for their education to stick to. Because without that, what have we got for education to stick to? Learning for nothing. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokudui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi arohanui, kia koutou, kotahu hau. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars and your beloved universes. I really hope wherever you are and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illumining for you more and more each who you are. A triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique, and here making things. Thank you. Now I know that for all of us the last maybe two years have been very hard, that we've had to really persevere and be strong through very difficult circumstances. And as a result of this, we have met all kinds of new people, all kinds of new parts of ourselves, all kinds of new experiences, and all kinds of new practices have come into our daily lives, some consciously and some subconsciously and unconsciously. What I know for me is that being part of this show has helped me immeasurably. I want to say a huge thank you to Sam, the whole Balloon Bubbles team for having me. And increasingly, I have felt a deepening appreciation and connection with the living world around me. Having felt that this connection was already there very strongly in my life and having built my working life around it, it's wonderful to know that that connection just gets deeper and deeper and can just get deeper and deeper. So I really hope for you at this time, looking back, you can see the connections in your own life that have deepened, that have helped you and how you too have helped others by connecting with them. As much as we are now learning to live our lives differently 
and as much as so much has changed and now been normalized we're all wearing our beautiful masks we're all scanning in we're maintaining our social distance we're touching elbows with each other all these things as much as all these things have have changed many of our innate qualities have come to the fore and remained unchanged our innate kindness our innate ability to nurture our innate desire for communality our innate predilection towards care caring for one another all of these very beautiful qualities that we have as humans as living beings I think that there's also been an increased awareness in the present moment and how even very small daily interactions can be a source of comfort and reassurance particularly for those who are working in essential roles this time has really highlighted how important it is to acknowledge and appreciate their work to be grateful to be gracious to realize and recognize the stress and the strain that our essential workers are under and be grateful to them i'm in the process of course of trying to get my vaccine pass and in order to attend all of these events that i'm part of i'm going to need to have it and show it off and of course as the universe likes to do to teach patients there's been a glitch in the system and so i'm being very grateful and very appreciative to everybody who's trying to help fix this glitch and get my pass to me before tomorrow morning when i'm supposed to be in the octagon for the unveiling of a beautiful new artwork so i really hope for you you're also able to tap into this innate quality of patience and gratitude and i'll look forward to talking to you again soon thanks so much Kakiti. you're listening to blowing bubbles we're talking with mawera karatai Okay, I'll do it. Dr. Mawera Karatai. <laughs> That's so nice, eh, Sam? <laughs> it's not that formally until you walked across the stage, I got told yesterday with stern words. Oh, well, I'm not really, I don't, I'm not, never actually been very good at listening to stern words. So it's noise. <laughs> so how do we create that positive future? How do we help the kids create a positive future? Um, by introducing critical thinking and future thinking into our schools. And if we don't, then I don't know what this, what, what the future looks like. Our kids have got a phenomenal number of challenges ahead of them. Like um, immediately is COVID. Um, and then there's climate change. <laughs> Jack, we, we interviewed Jack yesterday, my son, who's 12. And, um, and he said, do you think people will like my joke about taking all the water to Mars? <laughs> <laughs> no, Jack, I don't think people will. But his quirky sense of humour, he thought that was hysterical. Well, he was telling some people about it last night, expecting everyone to laugh, and no one did. But he, um, climate change is a big thing. And our kids, are they, they're living with the choices that us and our parents and their parents before them made in terms of the climate. And... Um, they're the ones who are going to have to solve those problems because we seem incapable. If we were able to do it, we would have done it. We obviously can't. 
So they're the ones that are going to have to. And for them to be able to, we need to be enabling them now with the thinking they're going to need to be able to do it. And it's not going to be the same thinking that we're using now where we fly over to the other side of the world to have a hooey about it and then come home and do nothing about it. Because you know what? I'm really over that as a way of being, Sam. One of the things that the the pandemic has taught us is that we can do stuff if we really want to. Yes. Why have we been so incapable at doing other stuff? And what can we do to move other stuff? And we, you know, we're talking about climate change and biodiversity, social injustice, systemic racism. Those really big things that we face aren't going away. No. Systemic racism is going to be a long-term chip away at it thing. We are definitely making progress. The Māori Wards is an example that we're definitely making progress. We are a, uh, a major political party in the country which is made up predominantly of non-Māori members, um, forced a bill through the parliament to enable Māori Wards. That is massive progress. And I'm seeing that sort of progress everywhere. I'm thankful for the progress I'm seeing in the race space. It's definitely changing, slowly but surely. Um, in terms of things like climate change, there are so many competing interests and we are still governed by this neoliberal way of, of economics, which is about these corporations and these organisations that are biggest contributors and the biggest barriers having all the power. And governments don't actually have enough power over those, um, over those competing interests, and that's why we can't make progress. How do we make progress against an organisation like Fonterra? They are so fundamental to the economy of this country and then there's, um, I look at what's happening down the east coast of Aotearoa, the whole, almost the whole East, east Cape area is now completely covered in uh, single crop kiwi fruit. And it, that really worries me. That, that uses an enormous amount of water, huge sprays, that's not organic. The sprays that they use in kiwi fruit are deadly. Uh, and, um, and also uh, the entire economy of that region is now tied to a single crop. And Mother Nature does not like a single crop. So that is just, it's not smart. And it's it just that thinking is, is so flawed. So how do you, how do we fight against flawed thinking? The only way that we can do that is actually coming back to educating our kids and critical thinking and future planning um, is is leave them to do it because we are incapable because and... we keep doing these dumb things because if you look at that canker that hits the green kiwi fruit wiped out the entire green kiwi fruit population so all they did was they just planted more of the gold <laughs> it's just like what wiped out all of the green and so now there's even more gold to be wiped out by the next virus that comes through. We don't learn, Sam. In your thesis, you tell several stories. And I think it was the first story you actually wrote was the story of the, the boy, mm. which is a story loosely about, well, it is about 
uh, dr driver's licensing, rural driver's licensing. But it's not really. It's really a story about, I don't think it's deliberate systemic racism, but it's systemic racism through ineptitude. Yep, and it's racism. If you're in this country, if you are Māori, you are more likely to be arrested for a crime than a non-Māori would not be arrested for. You're more likely to be fined. You're more likely not to be let off. You're more likely to be put back into prison. You're just anything to do with statistics, where if you put someone who's Māori and someone who's non-Māori together with the same crime, the Māori person will be treated way differently and their penalty will be considerably more harsh. And that is a sad fact in this country. And in so, driver's licensing, um, way too many of our young Māori, um, their first encounter with uh, the justice, justice system is through a driving offence, driving without a licence, driving an unregistered warranted car, uh, all those kind of things. So just those little things, those we, we might see those as almost, you know, grey areas of failure in the the system turn out to have massive impacts. Huge. And reasonably easy to fix. Yeah. Yeah, so simple to fix. So is that so the the theme of the show, the the positive but not deluded, is is that the mindset that you have that we can fix these things. We're aware of yep. these things. We're not deluded, but we can actually make a difference. Do you know what? Sometimes I feel like I have to be a bit deluded. I have to believe that the impossible can be done. Because sometimes it just seems impossible. And so, like, we, the law has just changed again for driver licensing. And, man, has that been a lot of hard work. And I've had my part to play in it. There's a few of us who have been working hard. We are the... Um, the restricted and the learner license were limited to five years by a previous government. So if you were on a restricted license and your license expired after five years, you had to go all the way back to the learner license again. So um, I've been working with a couple of people uh, over the last month or so. So generally when I'm doing driver license tutoring, um, I'll have two two-hour sessions and off they go and they pass. But the older you get, the longer it takes. And so for someone who's 60, having to relearn the entire road code, um, it's actually pretty tough. They know it, they know the rules, but they don't know the language. And um, so uh, as of the 1st of December, the law has changed. So now we're back to 10-year licenses. So your learner license expires after 10 years now. Your restricted expires after 10 years now. If your restricted expires, you don't have to go back and do your learners again. So there's, yeah, so we are making some progress there, but that's impossible thinking that makes it happen. So there, in this kind of work where you're dealing with massive change in clunky government systems and systems that are actually systems of oppression, um, you, you have to be deluded. So to overcome those systems of oppression, you have to have impossible thinking. You do. Yeah. And you have to believe that you can achieve impossible things because everyone will say that's impossible. And you go, okay, cool. Hold my water. <laughs> <I'm>... 
<laughs> I was going to say hold my beer, but I don't drink beer, so hold my water. But I'm not changing the theme of the show. No. Even though you have just convinced me that being a bit deluded is a good thing. But how do you how do you find the, the sweet spot between deluded in that impossible thinking and la-la land? Um, I think it's in the pushback from other people. And what I've found is that I have to... My, my network of people around me, my little core group of people is a really eclectic mix of people and I use them a lot. I bounce ideas off people and sometimes people just look at me. Like if the majority of those people look at me like I've actually just lost my mind, I know I'm going too far. So I think that's that's the that's or maybe sometimes actually that just inspires me to work harder. But um for the most part, if you're surrounded by people who the right kind of people build your team. I've seen it referred to as build your tribe. Um, that is probably the biggest key to the success, I reckon. It's really hard to do stuff in isolation. Sometimes you have to be the person that goes and does the thing, but you've got to have that support network and you've got to have those people around you who you can bounce ideas off it and who keep you grounded and keep you safe, really. Let's squeeze in the second of your music choices, Leonard Cohen, The Partisan. Why this one? Uh, there's um, a beautiful movie made by Taika Waititi, which is The Hunt for the Wilder People. And Jack, his favourite scene in the movie is where the two main characters are right up in the bush in the Uruweda uh, here in the Eastern Bay of Plenty. And that song played and it began his love affair with Leonard Cohen. And to have a, a little dude who loves Leonard Cohen, that's like the, my probably my number one parenting win. <laughs> I am nailing it. When they poured across the border, I was cautioned to surrender. This I could not do. I took my gun and vanished. I have changed my name so often I've lost my wife and children But I have many friends And some of them are with me An old woman gave us shelter Kept us hidden in the garret Then the soldiers came She died without a whisper There were three of us this morning I'm the only one this evening But I must go on The frontiers are my prison Oh, the wind, the wind is blowing Through the graves the wind is blowing Freedom soon will come Then we'll come from shadow Je n'ai pas peur J'ai repris mon âme 
to ask the societal change question on the way through. So quick answer, that we've seen lots of societal change in the last year or two. What do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick? Um, what I hope will stick is the, the belief by the government that we can make change happen. Um, but what I want to see happen is that thinking expanded to include other things that matter, not just COVID. Um, and, yeah, I think that's that's where my thinking is around that at the moment. Um, and my job, like um, I sit um, in a privileged position as the chair of the Waiariki uh, branch of the Labour Party. So I've got the ear of, of people in government. And, and um, I think that over the next 12 months, my role in life is to hold them to account for the decisions they make or the decisions they don't make. So questions to end the show with. What's the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Hmm, let me think. <laughs> that would be <laughs> actually getting a letter from Leonie Schmidt yesterday from Otago Poly telling me, congratulations, Marwita, you've passed. Um, but I'm mindful that I didn't pass. Also, I did not pass in isolation. I passed because of you and Martin. Without you, there is zero chance that I would have even got through the last three years, let alone got through it with, a, uh, with my tohu. So... I'm thankful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And your wider team. Yeah, my wider team, but especially you and Martin. So what's your superpower? Um, at the moment, I think it is dogged determination. So you've just written a thesis with this in the title, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Hell yes, I do. <laughs> I should have said no. <laughs> that would have been a hard ex explanation. That would have been funny. <laughs> so what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, I am motivated by every day is an opportunity to make things a little bit better for someone. Very much motivated by that. And I know it sounds like a bit naff, but it's actually true. <laughs> I am truly motivated by that. So what's the biggest challenge or opportunity you're looking forward to? Uh, I'm, I'm looking for a job at the moment, and I think I have one. And if I have this job, that will be the thing I'm most looking forward to. Uh, also working on a uh, chapter for a Springer book, um, which I haven't started yet, but that's got to start over the summer. Uh, and that's about inequity and rural health. So I'm really, really excited about that because it's um, so topical right now here, especially here in the Eastern Bay. And some work on decolonising computing, whatever that means. Oh my gosh, yes, that is very cool, actually. That is quite cool and uh, confronting. And I like the confronting aspect of it. And it's going to really, it's going to, 
that's going to irk people, make people think I like that. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Um, I think uh, at the moment, as I sit in this time of having completed this great adventure, starting a new one, um, as, as what I was talking about before, surround yourself by people who are the right people, um, people who love you and care for you and who want you to be your best authentic self. Now, at this point, I would normally throw you throw over to Mawera to do a summary. But I'll have to do it myself. That's awesome, Mawera. <laughs> you are awesome. You have done amazing work. It has been an absolute pleasure to work with you. Thank you. Thank you, Sam, for everything. Shall we go out to Twisted Sister or shall we go out to a bluegrass version of 12 Days of Christmas? Totally Twisted Sister. Done.
blowing bubbles. Positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We are broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Manon Sawyer's Bay in Eden. And my guest today has been, from Fakatani, Mawera Karatai, who will soon be known as Dr. Mawera Karatai. Congratulations, Mawera. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.